This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. I'm Kyle. And I'm Jeff. And you can follow us on Twitter at RunPodOption or email us, RunPodOption at gmail.com. We are partners with the Forgotten Five, Forgotten5.com. And we are continuing our conference preview series. Today, it is the Big 12. The only person I wanted to bring on for the Big 12 preview was Parker. Parker, why don't you introduce yourself? That's great. Uh, yes. Hi, it's it's me, uh, Parker Fleming. You know me as at Stats of War on Twitter. Um, yeah, happy to happy to be on. Happy to talk about the Big Twelve and uh, college football generally. For anyone that's new to the show, the way we do these conference previews is we kind of go over coaches, some new hires, maybe even talking about coaches that have continued to stay at a school, maybe grading them on their first year. It's kind of a, a shoot from the hip situation. Then we're going to go over some players or sides of the ball to watch in the upcoming season. And then we're going to finish it out with games to watch or, or interesting games to us. And then we'll make our predictions for the conference. I think it helps having a TCU guy on here to talk about coach because the last time TCU had to worry about a new coach, I think I was starting high school. <laughs> it was 2000. Yeah, I was starting high school. So first, congratulations, but there is actually a, a, a coach from the TCU brought back this year, Doug Meacham. Parker, do you want to go into his return a little bit and maybe A, what we might expect to see again, and B, how excited you are to have him back? I think I think bringing back Doug Meacham is one of the more interesting hires in college football. And I have to, you know, full disclaimer, big TCU fan, very, very biased, also have been on the roller coaster of is this a good idea or not? Because some of it feels like, hey, maybe we're just grasping at straws, trying to fix something up there. But, uh, you know, I think I think Doug Meacham has a good idea about uh, air raid principles and knowing how to kind of maximize talent, which really TCU's uh, offense has been identity less in the three years since Meacham left and also has really, really struggled to find out how to make their players play well. You know, for instance, I think Kenny Hill had a fine career at TCU. I think Kenny Hill was utterly wasted at TCU because they tried to plug him into this precision passing offense and he just didn't really get to thrive as much as he could have. So I think I think part of the reasoning of bringing Meacham back is just to help TCU rediscover their identity, help them kind of balance, uh, I could say balance Gary Patterson's defensive predilections with uh, the realities of modern offense, um, namely that Meacham will be another voice in the room kind of balancing things out. Uh, that also ties into, you know, TCU hired Jerry Kill as a special secret double assistant to yes. the um, uh, regional coach or whatever, whatever it is, you know, the <laughs> offense. Uh, and, and I think that move is just bonkers. Uh, I think that's hilarious. I, 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 you know, he and he and Gary Patterson are, are good friends and we're in each other's weddings and, Bill's like been around some moderately successful programs, but uh, if you think offensive innovation in 2020, you don't exactly think of Kill kind of coming in. Um, so that leads me to believe that there are some, you know, behind the scenes organizational issues. And so hopefully Kill coming in and then Meacham in as another place um, in the room to kind of say, no, no, we should actually run the air raid should, should improve some, some offensive issues at TCU. I hope so, because I do miss the, the Boykin days of just how electric those offenses were. And there's no doubt that Meacham 
I mean, Boykin was extremely talented just from an athlete, athletic perspective and a quarterback perspective. But if Meacham can get the most out of people. Yeah, because I, I think people forget that, that Von Boykin was not a quarterback until there was no one else on the depth chart. And they were like, oh, I guess you're playing quarterback now. Like he was an athlete coming out of high school. He was taking reps at running back in 2013, the week that Casey Paul Hall got hurt. Um, and and he kind of came in and, and started. So so Boykin was just like an athlete that Meacham kind of helped, and Cumbie helped become a quarterback. It is funny, though. I listened to uh, I don't know if you guys know the Run the Power podcast. Uh, Meacham was on that a couple weeks ago and I was, I was listening to that. And Meacham basically took zero credit for anything that Boykin did. Meacham was saying like he'd be on the <laughs> sidelines, just like throw up his hands and be like, oh, God, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, yes. OK, good. It's touchdown. Um, and that was like the offense with Boykin. So it's kind of funny to, to say like <laughs> for developing quarterbacks. Also, Boykin was one of the just weirder explosive quarterbacks in college football. I had a similar situation with Eric Dungy a couple of years ago. Just Eric, Eric, Dungy, Dungy, Eric Dungy was a Syracuse quarterback that was electric, but Reckless? also a wild card. Reckless <laughs> yeah. is a good one. <laughs> a, little, a little like bowling ball. Like he wasn't big or anything, but you're just like, oh, he's going to drop back and then he's going to just like knock over a defensive lineman and fall forward and get the first down. Yeah, Dungy dude, had some energy. You know? Dude was 6'4", 230. He ran like he looked like he was Johnny Manziel. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. And then he needs somebody in the face. It was great. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to reel this in. Yeah, Syracuse, <laughs> new Big 12 member. We're trying to fill holes still, guys. So, yeah, I can see Doug Meacham looking down at his play call sheet where he just called quick slants and Boykin running uh, sprints left to right for five <laughs> seconds. And he's going like, this isn't this isn't it at all. But he's not he's not down. So I guess I guess this works. Last time at TCU, you know, talking about Boykin being a, a playmaker and Meacham calling slants, like TCU's best drive of the entire year was a drive they didn't score a touchdown on. It was the two-minute drill versus Texas at the end of the first half where they literally just ran stick every play. They went like 80 yards in 62 seconds and just ran out of time. And like, that's bad. But they were just like, hey, we're just going to put a guy in space and throw in the ball and then run up to the line and do it again. Um, and so that really like reimposing that structure, which I think Meacham will help do, will give Max Duggan the opportunity to make plays with his legs instead of scramble for his life like he did all of last year. And that would have been Todd Orlando's Texas defense, right? It would have. Because that kind of reminds me, I think it was Todd Orlando that was still there, and we're just going to hop to a new school here, when Baylor drove the entire length of the field running the same curls play over and over again. (laughs) And Orlando refused and gave them a ten, like a ten yard buffer every single play. I might be when mistaken you, here. When you got a game plan, you go with it. But if I'm mistaken, it doesn't matter. Let's talk about Baylor. Matt Rule gone. Carolina Panthers coach. In comes Ooh. Ron Roberts, a defensive coordinator. Larry Fedora, at offensive coordinator, and Dave Aranda at head coach. Jeff, did you? think this could be an excellent hire because of Dave Aranda? Are you excited to see Larry Fedora back in college? He's going to fill out that polo, man. I'm ready for the Larry Fedora rehabilitation tour, guys. I loved him at Southern Miss. He started off okay at UNC, and then things kind of fell apart, but I just think this is a great opportunity for him to really you know, re-up his game as an OC. Parker... I know the Baylor and TC rivalry is, is a is a deep one. So for you, what was your first instinct when you saw Dave Aranda got the job? Was it a situation where you're like, 
that's great. I think they're going to suck. So this is going to be better for TCU. Or were you saying like, shit, this is going to make it more difficult for TCU in this situation? Uh, Well, I was worried that Baylor was going to hire Billy Napier from Louisiana. Hmm. um, And I thought that would have fear in my heart uh, as a fan. Um, I think it would have been a fine hire. I think Napier probably will get a better job than Baylor. Yeah, I think I think when Aranda got hired, I I thought that was pretty smart. Uh, you know, kind of a little bit of continuity. Someone who's been in the region, recruited well, and is defensive minded, uh, can can carry some things over with with rule. Um, I think obviously he's shown that like he can coach defenses, and the Big Twelve is in this weird kind of identity crisis um, where defense is mattering a little bit more. I, I think he's doing something really, really smart by surrounding himself with, with smart coaches. So I think, you know, Larry Fedora is not, not quite to this extent, but he's kind of in rich rod territory, like rich Rodriguez, where it's like, you could come help me call some plays and like develop stuff, but I don't want you to talk to my kids at all. Um, <laughs> so yeah. impact, impact on the playbook more than impact on the team. And, that, on, and that's harsher. Like Rich Rod's, you know, he is who he is and he's a football coach and I'm sure he's not much, much worse than a lot of people. It's just reputation, you know? Um, but yeah, so I, I think, I think Matt, uh, role's gone. Dave Aranda has done a good job of just surrounding himself with smart guys. I think the defense will play. I think he's coming in with a, a senior quarterback. And so has some opportunity to, one kind of remake a defense because they've lost a lot, but then have have enough offensive continuity to kind of keep your head above water. Yeah, I really liked the Larry Fedora hire, if only because he does have experience recruiting Texas too. He played football at Texas at Austin College up in up in Presbyterianville. So I, I like I like the hire from the same reason you said there should be the team is largely going to look pretty similar except for the players I think and I think also that Aranda's defense it's not going to be super hard to install because it puts a lot on the players to make those decisions and he's shown that he can coach them although he had five stars at LSU we'll see how that transitioned but I I was I'm excited for the hire from that aspect and a quick note and we mentioned this on our we had a coordinator and coaches episode months and months back when it kind of settled down before before COVID happened. But the cool <laughs> note the cool note about Ron Roberts is Ron Roberts actually gave Aranda, I think, his first job in college. He was the defensive coordinator of a school and Dave Aranda worked from from underneath him. So for him to bring back Ron Roberts, who's had a lot of head coaching experience, I thought that was pretty neat. On to the school that's back. Maybe not. <sighs> Texas. Was, no, no, no. Texas. <laughs> we're gonna talk about this DC. Yeah, we're gonna. All right. So, <laughs> Chris Ash. So, so Texas. Yeah, Chris Ash was already. So I feel weird because I feel like both Mike Yurchich and Chris Ash were both there last year. I think towards the end of the season, working or at least in bowl prep. I know Chris Ash was. What are our initial thoughts on a? The need for Herman to completely replace his OC and DC, do we think it's a situation where he's used them as a scapegoat now and bringing in two other guys? Or do we think this is also, B, a really great hire or hires? Kyle, do you want to start? Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, like, I think it is a scapegoat issue issue right here because he's he's clinging, he's he's just grabbing at straws at this point. You know, like, the, the, the board at Texas is cutthroat. Even though they said they were back, what, two years ago? They're not where they want to be. And 
<laughs> just being like, eh, well, my coordinators just really didn't get it done. I need, I need to bring in some new guys, you know, um, doesn't really install the most hope in me, but really bringing in Chris Ash. I know he was at Ohio state. I know, I know, but look what he's done at Rutgers. And it, it's yeah. never a bad idea to, to retread somebody from Rutgers. Jeff, uh, I'm going to, this is the perfect because of your Michigan experience here, but what do you think of Chris Ash as a defensive coordinator? One and two, what do you remember from obviously the Rutgers defenses? We're going to separate that, but when he was at Ohio state and they were, I'm assuming because of, of the streak here that they beat Michigan about the years that he was the DC, what did his defenses look like? And what were your, what were your, opinion of them basically ohio state's defense is always interesting because they are at least as long as i can remember now they're so much more talented than everybody else that i'm pretty sure one of us could be out there coaching them and they would still be a top 10 defense so ash's defense was fine it was good it was um it's he wasn't very aggressive he wasn't blitz heavy so it is going to be kind of interesting to see how he adjusts because it was very much like a, you know, we'll sit here and rush four and our four will beat your five every time, so we're good. And I don't know if that's going to be the case at Texas, so I'm, I'm not really a fan of the, the hire. I think they could have done better. It does feel like Herman's going to sink with the ship that got him there, potentially, right? Just feeding from, your church had a lot of Oklahoma State experience, but still bringing in two Ohio State guys, you know what it is. Parker, you might have a different take on this because of what Kyle alluded to here, but I guess if you want to give your opinions on the hire, feel free. But also, it was a pretty significant loss when TCU's athletic director went to the University of Texas because he was so he was a great AD for, and did a lot for TCU as a program and as a school. Absolutely. Chris Del Conte, um, you know, did, did a lot to grow TC's Big 12 brand, um, which was just huge and has done great for facilities. You know, current athletic director Jeremiah Donati was was really at the helm, a lot of that fundraising. But Del Conte did an amazing job. You know, uh, he, he wasn't like single handedly responsible for TCU becoming a power five team, but he, he guided the ship there for sure. Um, I think it will uh TCU fans will enjoy to know in the fact that Texas's athletic program was going so bad they had to come throw buckets of money at little TCU's uh, athletic director to come <laughs> fix it. <laughs> yeah, so so that that is something that's like, you know, I, I don't know if that like increases the rivalry or anything. That's something that like TCU fans are kind of used to. Like Texas has been coming after Jim Sloshnagel, the TCU baseball coach, for years um and he's he's continually said no so i yeah i i mean it's i wish him well and like i don't want texas to win any games but you know chris is a, a good athletic professional um really nice guy used to be very active with fans before the game and stuff so it was super cool um yeah i think about about herman i mean you fire the coordinators man next year's on you and so I, I understand like there are worse hires or worse strategies than hiring as much Ohio State as you can. I'm just from the standpoint of guys who have been around. I think Chris Ash is a great example of like hey, it's it's a lot easier to do good football things with good football players. And it's way harder to do them with bad football players, um, which isn't you know breaking any news or anything. So I think he'll have a lot more talent to work with and a lot less responsibility than he did at Rutgers. So I'm actually kind of optimistic about that. Um, also with Yurchik, 
Tom Herman was calling plays last year and he, he, you know, he said himself that that really made it where some of the stuff in his program kind of slipped in quality because he was having to game prep every week too. And so I, I think there's some optimism for Texas, especially just, I mean, offensive line is coming back and looks really, really good. The defensive secondary will not be as injured as it was last year. And then you have, you know, quarterback Sam Ellinger, who is, is potentially going to be on the Heisman podium. So Herman's got a lot of things right for him. I will say, I think the jury is still out on Herman. Tom Herman's biggest accomplishments are recruiting Ed Oliver and then being in the big 12 championship the right year. So he could go to the sugar bowl instead of the Alamo bowl. And, and, and that's not to like degrade him so much. As it is just to say like a lot of perception about Tom Herman is hype. He could be a very good coach. He's, he's had good moments of coaching. He's also had terrible moments of coaching. Uh, don't forget they, they beat Kansas on the last, last possession this last year as well. Um, <laughs> And uh, not that TCU fans have anything to say about losing to Kansas. Uh, but but I mean, I think I think the jury's still out on Herman. I can understand him saying like, OK, let me go get my guys. Let me get as, as much Ohio State and try and recreate the magic, especially while I've got a really experienced offensive line and one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. I, I do think that Herman has the ability to coach very, very well. I also think that the University of Texas job, I think both can be true. The University of Texas job is a lose-lose situation as a head coach, as it stands today. Because you're never going to meet expectations right now with the way things are. Insane expectations. Yeah, no, I'm, and, like, and Charlie Strong should have never taken that job, man. From Louisville, that just that was that was rough all around. Because it is just like you just can't win unless you win national championships. And like honestly, outside of Mac Brown, like. Brown had an amazing 12-year run, but Texas also just recently had one of the worst decades of anybody. Um, and, and it's really hard to see, like, it, you're, you're just in a hard spot in that job. Because even if you win, you know, eight games two years in a row, people are talking about your job security. Yeah. I mean, even 10. If 10 is if, – if it's 10 and you're losing to Oklahoma every year, you're on the hot seat. And that is just wild ass from, from what we know – the financial gain of having a 10 or 11 win season versus a six or seven win. Like that's a huge difference. Even for going to a good bowl at that point. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to get that money. So before we get off coaches, I have just a a simple pick them here. This is for everybody. We have Les miles at Kansas. We have Matt Wells at Texas tech and we have Neil Brown at West Virginia. Which coach's team becomes bowl eligible first? And if all of them aren't this year, then it would be the first one next year in this hypothetical. But so which <laughs> which of those three coaches gets six wins first? Jeff. I really liked the Matt Wells hire. I think they were kind of snake bit last year with injuries, so I think they'll get they'll get it first. Okay, Kyle. I'm gonna go Texas Tech as well. Kansas sucks. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Like, I don't care that Les Miles is there. Kansas sucks. Okay, Parker. <laughs> you're all, you're all wrong. Uh, Neil Brown, West Virginia, West Virginia, perhaps even should have, but could have gone to a bowl last year very, very feasibly. Um, Neil Brown has demonstrated an ability to maximize uh, talent, unlike anyone. He's recruiting really, really well this year. Jared Dakey is is proving to be a pretty good quarterback. And so Les, Les Miles doesn't have the quarterback. He's still a year off. We don't know if Alan Bowman can be a quarterback, and they're losing, you know, four offensive line starters. So is Alan Bowman going to be able to stay healthy for the entire year? Um, I think if I was – I mean, I would bet the over on West Virginia at, at five and a half. 
or as much money as in my bank account. Okay, awesome. All right, so moving on to players. And this is also maybe just to what to watch for in, for instance, Doug Meacham's TCU offense. I'm going to kick it off. We can go team by team. We can kind of scatter it around however you guys want to do it. Just don't even raise your hand. Just jump in. I'm going to start with the first one here. I want to focus on Baylor's defense. Parker alluded to it earlier, but they lost a ton. And also Dave Randa coming in, who's a defensive-minded guy. I think that's going to benefit them in this transition. But I wanted to point out specifically an Arkansas State grad transfer named William Bradley King. He is going to be, he's expected to be, the position that Calevon Chason ran last year. So that stand-up hybrid linebacker. And so for, for me, Baylor... They're not necessarily a must-watch every time, but while they're on defense, William Bradley King is a guy I'm going to keep an eye out for. Kyle? Okay, I'm going to go for the elephant in the room. Chuba Hubbard. Oh. And for what reason? Um, obviously, great talent. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's wonderful. If his heart's in it, he can be wonderful. How much is his heart going to be in it this year? How much is the circus that's now going around with Gundy going to affect him how much is it going to affect the team i don't know what to expect i mean, i don't know what to expect with him now like if he goes out and just you know does it for himself he's gonna have a great year i think they'll have a, a, a really really good year great but if he's kind of distracted by everything if he's just not really in it doesn't really isn't really gelling with gundy at all like like that beautiful uh hostage situation that he had on that video, um, like, I, I just don't know. I, like, I don't know what to expect from him this year. Yeah, it's 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 kind of an eerie, an eerie thing. Like I want him to do really really well, but with knowing the situation, knowing the situation as we do, mm-hmm. it feels weird. It still feels weird to like to focus on like. Not, why is he even coming back to college? Like before all of this, dude, go get your money. Like. A running back, you're at the height of your. Uh, I, I just don't see how he could get paid any more in the NFL than he was going to this year. And he just adds another year of injury risk. And then on top of that, after he makes that decision, all this drama is going down. I don't. I don't get why he came back. What What year is he? Is he Is he a redshirt junior? The redshirt. Uh, yes. So he was eligible to go this year. Okay. It almost it it, it feels like a a player packed kind of thing. Like, Hey, we're all, and, and for that reason, like I understand him coming back, but I do agree. Like it, I'll, I'll, I'll ring this bell for freaking ever. But like when you see a player go down their senior year and they're never able to recover from that injury, like it sucks. It sucks that there's one turn that could prevent Chubba Hubbard from ever playing in the NFL, you know, from like Marshawn Lattimore, yeah, Marshawn Lattimore, dude. And so like, and so like for that reason, yes, Parker, hundred percent. I wish he'd gone. I'm glad he's back from a returning production and what Oklahoma state could be. And I think that's also why like selfishly there was 10% of what was happening when the Mike Gundy situation unfolded that I was like, man, he just, he just ruined what could have been one of the most fun teams to watch in the country flat out. The other 90% is awesome. So glad that he's speaking out and he's speaking out and he's speaking out, but like, yeah, it's, I'm interested to see what Hubbard does. I do hope the team makes it about them and not about Gundy. 
and win in spite of him. Because I think a lot of them, at this point, deserve it. They suck their neck out, which not many players have done before, and a lot of players have started to do since. So I think that's... Which- that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just it, – it's going to be – the narrative is going to be about Gundy, though, this year and about Hubbard. When, when, when you're watching a game with those two, they're going to talk about Gundy. They're going to talk about Hubbard. They're not going to talk about the rest of the team. It's going to be Gundy first of, all, first of all, and then it's going to be Hubbard. This is still player talk, Parker, but <laughs> – You asked me about Zach Evans. I'm leaving. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, this, this is kind of – I just wanted to kind of work this into Oklahoma State and TCU, sort of. They both are going to have similar but different quarterbacks, right? So Spencer Sanders with Oklahoma State and Max Duggan for TCU. Do you think that, on your opinion on Chubba here, do you think Sanders has a chance to really take a step forward and make that team go? And likewise... For Duggan, do you think that he can be a huge improvement and he'll need to maybe be the huge improvement for TCU's offense this year? On, on Sanders, I'll say Sanders is, is, is very, very good and was able to make a lot of plays even when, you know, his best receiver uh, guy, Tylen Wallace, got hurt and you know had a lot of help with his great offensive line. I think Oklahoma State's offensive line was ranked in the top 25 by Pro Football Focus. So he was able through, you know, context helps and he has talent um, and was able to, to really do a lot there. So he, he has a year on Max Duggan. Uh, he was a redshirt freshman. Spencer Sanders got to do what Max Duggan was supposed to do, which was sit out a year and then take over. Um, and Duggan, obviously, through the, you know, lack of recruiting pipeline, through the injury to Justin Rogers, through Sean Robinson transferring, through Alex Delton being Alex Delton ended up uh, just starting this year uh, a lot sooner than than he should have. So I expect uh, Spencer Sanders to be in the top half of quarterbacks this year, uh, especially given his context and what Gundy can do with an offense. Um, Max Duggan, I think, will absolutely improve. He got a lot better as the year went on, which is what you'd expect. The, the variable that kind of confounded or masked that was really that in the Texas game, third round NFL draft pick Lucas Niang uh, right tackle got hurt and um, after that TC just had to shuffle guys around on the line and it was just a disaster really enough like against Texas Tech Jordan Brooks got hurt and TCU's offensive line got worse because Tech just started bringing like seven guys every play and Duggan <laughs> was just, like every, every play that TCU had against Texas Tech uh, with the exception of like one touchdown to Rager was just Max Duggan being like, oh, I've got to throw this or I'm dead uh, or like, oh, I'm going to scramble and, and get some yards. So again, Max Duggan, I think, was only behind Trevor Lawrence in terms of value created with his legs last year. Um, I saw that, I think, again, from Pro Football Focus and this very, very talented runner. I think he will do better this year just because there will be less instability. They've got a grad transfer, TJ Stormett coming in that'll start in a JUCO um, uh I can't remember his first name, who who will start along the line for TCU. And so both of those guys will be better. And yes, they're losing Jalen Rager, the playmaker. But I think Max Duggan's maturity, plus the fact that he won't get hit, you know, eight, nine times a game, or the, more than average, uh, will, will really, really help him. I think he would have benefited from this offseason a whole lot, especially with like Tay Barber was hurt and, and came back halfway through last year. So 
I, you know, I think Duggan will grow. I think Meacham will help with that some. I don't expect Max Duggan to be, you know, top four quarterback in the Big 12 this year. And I think Spencer Sanders will be markedly better than Max Duggan on the stat sheet this year. Jeff, who's a player we have to watch out for? This is kind of an easy pick, but with the history of the last few years under Lincoln Riley, it's going to be really fun and interesting to watch Spencer Rattler, the new quarterback for Oklahoma. Great name. Um, Great name. Top Uh, tier name. Really good quarterback. Super talented. I know they're, they've lost a lot of playmakers, but I don't think it's, there's going to be a lot of drop off. And my bold prediction is he will be a Heisman finalist. So. Ooh, first year. I, don't, I mean, I don't think anybody would be surprised either, right? Because no. he's so good. The big question I actually had about Oklahoma. So Spencer Rattler, I don't think Tanner Mordecai has a chance to, to steal that job. But with Trey Sermon transferring to Ohio State, I'm wondering where the production on the ground is going to be if it's not only Kennedy Brooks and Spencer Rattler. Because when you looked at the, the the season stats for Oklahoma last year, the amount of yardage that Jalen Hurts was responsible for was astounding. Bananas. Like it was absolutely insane. Can I make a point about that real quick? Yes, Because that's like a, you know, I'm a, I'm a stats nerd, and this is like a nuanced point here, but Jalen Hurts also had so many total yards because Oklahoma was up all the time. Like they would just... So one, Jalen Hurts would drop back at a pass and then say, nope, screw this and run. Um, and so he amassed all the yards that way. But also Oklahoma got up so often that a lot of their game plan was like short, safe passes or Jalen Hurts runs designed just trying to like milk the clock. So he had like a ton of ton of absolute yardage that really, really like inflates his value. He was really, really good, but he also gets like a lot of credit just because he ran so much when they were ahead. Okay. Well, and let's work this into another point then. Parker, you're, you're a huge proponent of, of EPA and it's something I've tried explaining a few times on the show and I think I did a decent enough job, but if you want to give a, a brief explanation of EPA and then if you even want to go further, because I have what you sent to me with the play-by-play stats, with, with non-garbage plays factored, the rankings for success rate, rushing and passing for Oklahoma are still staggering, just removing the total yardage conversation at all. If you want to get into that, dive shallow as you can on EPA to make it, explain it to me like I'm five, and then if you want to go over the rankings too. Uh, so EPA is just like, if you get three yards on first and 10, that's not a great play. If you get three yards on third and three, that's an awesome play. Um, and so yards doesn't contain enough context. Um, and so one way to improve on that is, is Bill Conley's success rate, which uh, I have here in, in that stat that I showed you. Um, and, and that's a, that's a decent start. And then what we can do, we being uh, me and then a, a couple of really, really smart data science nerds have came up with this idea let me rephrase that. I didn't come up with the idea. We have a version of it, uh, of, of the you know, expected point has been around forever. Basically just saying, hey, let's take the down distance yard line and situation and say, how often did you expect the team to score here? And how much did you increase your position? So it's just like measuring the value of states. And so EPA is really, really nice because it, it helps us distinguish between three yards on first down and three yards on third down. Um, and yes, Oklahoma, don't, don't hear me saying they're not good. Um, they're, yeah, they're no, out. I didn't. I just, I just thought this would be a perfect kind of learning, learning experience too. 
a third third overall on EPA per play, averaging 0.37 uh, per play. Their rush was fourth overall, and their pass was fifth overall. So just, I mean, 52% success rate in non-garbage time is absurd. Um I just you can't say you can't overstate Lincoln Riley's offense and you can't overstate what he did with Jalen Hurts, who's a decent enough passer, you know, according to like CPOE, the completion percentage over expected metrics is is, is a better passer than people give him credit for it. But is by no means kind of the precision arm uh, or, or sheer arm strength of like Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. And Lincoln Riley was able to say, hey, I'm going to put you in my offense and we're going to make it work. Uh, and they did very, very well, which was just astounding. So that gives you hope for Spencer Rattler right there, the two right there. You know? Absolutely, I think out the off season he will be. Um, he'll, he'll, it'll be a little bumpier for him than it otherwise would have. But I think end of October, end of November, Spencer Rattler will be one of the best three quarterbacks in the Big Twelve. And, and he's also got a lot on the ground. He's got wheels. He can move. He's not. He's not the the physical. Uh, what was it? The intentional runner. That, that we talked a lot about Jalen Hurts last season where he looked like he was trying to hurt people. He's not the same kind of runner, but Spencer is a, a talented runner just from high school tape and from spring, uh, the spring ball tape from last year too that I watched. Like, I think that with Oklahoma, it, yeah, it's going to be bumpier because he's a what, brand new quarterback coming in, but Oklahoma's fairly plug and play. It's easier to do when you have five stars for yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it, it is plug and play until it's not. I don't think Spencer Rattler is going to be the. It's not though. It'll be someone else down the road. It's not Tanner Mordecai. Jeff, did you have anybody else you wanted to point out? We talked. I think we've so we've talked a lot about the heavy hitters. Uh, I am excited to see. I believe his name is Bijan Robinson, five star running back coming into Texas. Yes. Um, it's just it's more fun when big big name teams have really good players, and I feel like Texas has had just a ton of injuries, and they've had some good players. But I'm excited to see if he can like really amplify their running game, especially with a good a good offensive line, like you mentioned. Yeah, I'm excited for what he can do, what Keontae Ingram, what Rashawn Johnson can already do there too, and Ellinger, obviously we know can run too, as well. So Parker, when Zachary Evans signed or you got news that he was coming to TCU were you excited at what that could potentially look like because he was I think the highest recruit that TCU had signed maybe signs of like Ladanian Tomlinson throwing back a little bit here what were your thoughts I mean good good players are good and so I'm always excited about that I also you know I'm I'm a little bit down on just running backs in general because I feel like there's um a lot of running back success like we mentioned with with Shuba Hubbard earlier just depends on your usage and your context and your offensive line. And so I, I think I am more negative reaction than the median TCU fan, which is probably true about most TCU events. But um, a lot of people are like, oh, we got a great recruit. And you're like, well, yeah, but it's not a five star quarterback or a five star wide receiver or like a huge offensive lineman, which they did get. They got Garrett Hayes, who's who's going to be a monster at center for TCU um, in a couple of years. But so I, I think Evans is fine and he's got some great pass catching. Uh, let me rephrase that. Evans is awesome. He's a great athlete. He's a great running back and he's got some really good pass catching ability. If TCU is just going to throw him in as running back, the marginal upgrade there over Arqua Foster and Darwin Barlow, who are both, you know, three-star, four-star recruits with 
huge massive thighs uh, i just i just don't think the marginal value is is that big especially if there's kind of this second order effect where use offensive coaching staff says hey we've got a five-star running back we need to use him more um and so that's that's really my concern of course i want tc to recruit good players i want kevin's to in the doke walker like that's awesome but i'm just worried about how he fits in with a tcu offense whose problem was that they went on first and long too much Kyle, did you have any other players you wanted to bring up? I'm going to wrap it up with kind of a, a scatter shoot on a few other guys. Well, this might be one of the guys that you uh, wanted to do it, so I'll just I'll just say the name Brock Purdy and go. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's Iowa State. He looked great. Uh, what two years ago? I, I was a little underwhelmed last year, but well, and this is actually you you it's perfect, Kyle, because I was going to bring up Brock Purdy. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for stopping you. So two years ago, he had David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler, and he had a great year, right? He was this, I think that was his first year coming in and starting because he came in for an injured quarterback. If I remember correctly, I might be wrong. Kyle Kemp was hurt and uh, took over and then ran with it. So Brock Purdy never looked back. Montgomery left. Hakeem Butler left because they went to the NFL. And last year they had Brees Hall as a running back and their tight end Charlie Kohler who really stepped it up. But he didn't – he was still missing, I think. You can't really re- replace Hakeem Butler. Not at that program. You know, if you're Oklahoma, yeah, you have receivers for days, you know, or, or USC, cool. Yeah, just here's another five-star guy. But Brees Hall and Charlie Kohler with Brock Purdy are all three players I really want to watch for Ohio State, Iowa State and see how they potentially threaten for the Big 12 this year. Because their defense, we know what that is, right? We know it's going to be fantastic. But if their offense and party can throw for another 4,000 yards and just keep crushing it, I'm excited to see him. Parker, did you have anybody or any particular sides of the field you wanted to talk about? Uh, uh, Charlie Kolar was definitely on my list. And and I think I think the, uh, you know, the, the Brock Purdy thing is about like, Donic adaptation, which just means like you eat a nice piece of chocolate cake and then you want a better piece of chocolate cake later because you get used to that quality. So I think like Brock Purdy, we were all like, man, he's pretty awesome. And last year he was still like pretty awesome, but he was a little less awesome. And so he seemed like way worse just because his context changed. So definitely, I definitely agree with those thoughts there. Um, I have a I have a list of players that I don't need to comment on. I just want to say their names because they're going to be fun as heck. Uh, Darius Stills, West Virginia defensive lineman. Samuel Cosme, Texas offensive lineman. Uh, safety Trayvon Merrig from TCU. And uh, my, my last kind of weird one that I think people should watch is uh, Eric Ezukanama, and I'm not saying that name right. He's a wide receiver for Texas Tech. TJ Vasher is kind of their their main guy. But uh, EZ had some, some pretty incredible plays, specifically against TCU, which made me look into him more. And he feels like if if Bowman's healthy and the offensive line holds up, EZ could be a name that you'll be you'll be unexpectedly seeing. Yeah, TJ Vasher and Eric. Oh God, now I'm gonna get in my head about this last <laughs> name. You said we call him Easy, so that's easy, what I- easy. All right, yeah. So Easy and TJ Basher, both of those guys, I'm super excited to see. You mentioned Darius Stills, his brother Dante Stills. They're both going to be on the defensive line together. Last season, they had 26 tackles for loss combined, 14 sacks, and 69 tackles. Nice. We haven't mentioned Charlie Brewer. 
And the only reason I really want to bring him up, because I think he's obviously a good quarterback, but this year he has a chance to break the passing record set by RG3. That alone, I think it's going to be touchdowns and passing yards that he has a chance to break. They're also going to return three of their top four receivers, so Baylor's offense might not miss a beat either. Kind of excited to see what they're going to come to. And we'll throw Kansas. I think it's the only team we haven't mentioned a player for. Let me look here. They don't have anybody playing. No, we didn't. Uh, Puka Williams. I'm going to, I'm going to give a shot to Puka there? Williams. Is he in jail? He, oh, my God. Did he get arrested? <laughs> he definitely did. I think it was last year, though. Yeah. Okay. I think he's I think he's not in jail, Jeff. And allegations of a domestic incident with Puka, but that has evidently been settled. Oh, no. Of course, Les Miles is in town. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 get South War has no comment on this uh, issue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, Parker's not affiliated with this podcast. It's opinions, <laughs> it's statements. Um, Puka Williams and another running back, uh, Velton Gardner. This is kind of more of a shout out to their offensive coordinator. Brent Deerman, he does a lot of RPO stuff. It should be fun to watch, despite their quarterback, Carter Stanley, being gone. So if there's something for Kansas to watch for, watch for what should be a fun, probably bad offense, and your OC is probably going to get taken next year or the year after. I was going to say, didn't didn't he get promoted midseason or postseason? Wasn't he not the offensive coordinator to start? Yeah, he got promoted I think six games in, and in those six games that he wasn't the OC, they lost to Coastal Carolina. And on the game, I think it might have been his first game as OC, they hung so many points at Texas, and Texas won 50-48. to 48. game, you're going back and watching, that is a wild college game. Texas-Kansas from 2019 is absolutely a thrill. All right, I think we've exhausted our, our players list. Let's get into key games. Jeff, I'll start with you because I know you're you're an out of conference game nerd. You got it. Give it to me. Out of conference, Oklahoma and Tennessee. That was on my list. Oh no, I didn't even see that game when I was looking through these. Just, Just to see what happens right to Alma Mator. Yeah, I, I mean, Tennessee could. I don't think they're going to win, but I. Tennessee seems to be trending upwards, and Oklahoma is going to be, you know, breaking in a new quarterback still. So I have heard way too much optimism about Tennessee in the last week from you two. <laughs> They're going to go two and ten this year. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I've lived through enough of it. It's fine. I I want to see what happens in that game, but I just I have no faith. Also, it's in Oklahoma. The last time they played, Tennessee lost thirty-four to ten, and that was At in twenty fourteen. If anyone follows Blinken Riley, there has been a lot of Tennessee, a lot of Tennessee <laughs> fan trash talk that has been a lot of fun to watch. And if you don't follow him, he's a good Oklahoma. If you're a fan of, honestly, even if you're not a fan of Oklahoma, he's a good follow. I'll say just one other interesting part on on Oklahoma's schedule is they have Tennessee. They have a break, but then they play Army. That was my next game. Damn it, Kyle. (laughs) All right, all right. Go ahead, Kyle. Take over. No, no, no. You do it. You do it. Whatever. I'm sad now. My dog agrees. Um, I just, I I love when that's going to be, I think, really intriguing to see them prepare for Army while also having Tennessee at the start of the season. Like, will it cause problems for them? 
Well, didn't so. they have an issue with Army like what it was ye- last year or the year before? It was a close Three game. year before. Yeah, it was the pay-per-view, the guy... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was the pay-per-view game that no one was watching, and they went to overtime, and some Oklahoma fan decided to stream on Twitch, I believe, his feet <laughs> while he watched the game in his apartment, it looked like. <laughs> and then someone in the and chat that was, asked that was how only fans started yeah that is really how only fans start yeah it was OU only fans <laughs> really struggled to make that work Parker in your estimation for TCU what is a more winnable game assuming these happen right at Cal or at SMU Cal I think Cal might struggle to be a bowl game, and I think Sonny, Sonny Dykes literally knows TCU's playbook, as we saw <laughs> last year. Uh, Dykes coached TCU for a year, uh, and they, yeah, I, I think SMU is kind of TCU should have beaten SMU last year. There was just, uh, don't get me started on like calling and all that. I don't, I don't need to go down that uh, road, but like TCU should have beaten SMU last year. I think TCU will probably beat them this year. It will be a bigger challenge than Cal in a vacuum now given when spring starts what travel looks like all of that um you know there's still tires are being kicked about tcu replacing usc in jerry world against alabama oh no things happen which would be very bad for tcu um so do you think that game has a chance to finish like 13 10 like the like gary patterson just dials it up makes alabama's offense just gives them the worst fight of their life, but you can only score ten points because you're just handing it to Zach Evans. <laughs> yeah, like that's kind of the that's kind of like the Gary Patterson signature. If you remember, they played Ohio State in Jerry World two years ago. Until like a, a just a comically tragic third quarter, it was like twenty one nineteen. Just like no, we're gonna grind this one out. Um, I think my tweet about it was TCU and Alabama would be cool in the sense that I've always wanted to see a game that's a hundred to nothing. Hopefully that doesn't happen. I think, but I think I think Cal is probably the more winnable game. I think Cal is bringing back a lot on offense, so they're getting a lot of attention, but. It's not like their offense was amazing last year. Um, so, you know, they'll be very similar to TCU with like defense first. Uh, but I think TCU's offense will be better. And at TCU's defense is just straight up than Cal's. So um, I, I think it will be a little trickier. I just remembered, is this the first time they've played since the Cheez-It Bowl a few years it's, ago? Oh, God. The one with eight, nine intercept, eight interceptions. Oh no! No, that's okay. I hope it doesn't get canceled. Boy, we need to re, we need to replay that right yeah. back. Keeping it at a conference, Iowa State and Iowa always feels like a good one. Matt Campbell still hasn't beaten Ferentz yet with the Iowa State squad that's coming in, combined with. The unrest right now at Iowa. I think maybe this is a chance for the Cyclones to finally win. So that's a big one for me. Parker, did you have any particular ones that maybe aren't TCU related that you wanted to keep an eye out for? I think the leg of Texas Tech, Arizona, that's in Lubbock, will tell us a whole lot about what Texas Tech is going to be. I think Texas going to LSU will be just one of those premier matchups. Um, and so I think both of those are really interesting. Another one to watch is West Virginia, Maryland, just on kind of the weird 
ale because that one will really determine West Virginia's bowl viability, which I think would be a, a big step for Neil Brown in year two. Um, and then lastly, Iowa has or Iowa State has not beaten Iowa in five tries, and it's gotten like a little more tragic every year. So that's one that I always like keep an eye on. Too. I think it was a punt return that went awry, went was a mess last year. Yeah, like they, the guys ran into each other. Oh god, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it really is tragic. Comedy of errors. The other two I had on here was the the obvious ones: Bedlam, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma at Oklahoma this year, and then the Red River Shootout. If only because it's a must win for Texas every year. I feel like, but if by that point, if they've already lost to LSU, I expect the Texas for Texas to try to unload the entire clip and try to just not even play a little bit conservative or smart, just absolutely slinging the ball around, which might make for a good game, might make for them get wrecked. Who knows? And if we don't have any other games, or if you have any other games you want to bring up, let's do it, and we can get on to conference predictions. I got one more. Yes. Ole Miss and Baylor, first game of the season for them. Oh. Lane Kiffin, Dave Aranda, first game of the season. Yeah. That will be fun. God, I bet Baylor smokes them, though. (laughs) Probably, but I mean... (laughs) First game. I don't even know who I want to win that game. <laughs> that's such like, that's, that's a weird. God, that is a lot. That is a lot of like vineyard vines, though, that they're wearing. Yeah. Between the two. There's schools. also that weird like subplot of Baylor used to have Art Bryles and Kendall Bryles and Lane Kiffin employed Kendall Bryles for a bit. Oh, I didn't even consider that. Oh, no. It's subplots. It's the Bryles Bowl. <laughs> Parker, you ready for predictions? let's do it okay no so the big 12 doesn't have divisions which is fantastic and so what we're going to do is we're going to pick who we think is going to finish in first place who's going to finish in second place that is going to be our conference championship game obviously and then who ultimately wins parker you're the expert so i'm going to have you go last and kyle i want you to go first best conference record i gotta go with oklahoma again all roads go through Norman to me at this point. I hate saying it, but like in, until somebody says otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's probably not a huge limb, but I'm going to go Texas for the second. And Oklahoma wins it. Okay. Oklahoma's your Big 12 champion. I'm going to go ahead and go since mine are pretty similar. The first place, best Big 12 record this year is going to be the University of Texas. Wow. And the second place is Oklahoma. But Oklahoma's going to win the championship still. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a, 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 a... The comedy. Uh, yeah, I believe in Texas to win a game that they maybe shouldn't, but I don't believe in them being able to beat Oklahoma twice in a year. So I'm going to pick Oklahoma for the championship as well. Jeff? I, uh, we're keeping it, keeping it in the same state. I think Oklahoma finishes with the best record, followed closely by Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma beats them in the championship. God, that's three Oklahomas. Parker? I mean, you just you can't pick against them. Um, I do think they'll finish second. I think they'll they'll stumble with Rattler. Actually, I mean, well, like Oklahoma's bring back 91% of their offensive line starts from last year, too. So, like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe he won't stumble. Uh, I think I'm, I'm going back on that. I think Oklahoma wins the conference. I actually think Oklahoma State goes uh, second. That Texas and Iowa State kind of tie for that third and fourth there. Um, 
I mean, I think I think the line between two and four is going to be razor thin this year. Um, you know, I, I think TC or I think the Big Twelve will have more of a middle class, a more defined middle class this year than they've had in a long time. Because um, normally it's like Oklahoma and then you know six teams who are potentially that number two team talent wise. And this year I think it'll be the top four. Uh, it'll be Oklahoma and then the other three and then kind of everybody else. So I, I, I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, but there's more of a middle class than we're used to in the Big Twelve. Okay, so let's let's run that let's run that through real quick. So if we have Oklahoma top tier, second tier is Oklahoma State, Texas, Iowa State. You're saying right? So let's go third tier. Would you say, in no particular order, by the way, Kansas State, Baylor, TCU, maybe. If there's a step forward for Duggan, yeah, definitely TCU. I agree. And then below that is Kansas, Texas Tech, West Virginia. And that's only because they're still remodeling, as it were. Maybe West Virginia skips up to tier three. Would that be a point of- order i think kansas has to be alone by themselves uh yeah. <laughs> i also think kansas state played to their ceiling last year um which is good like it's a good ceiling but, um i i don't think they have the ability to pop off 10 wins this year i think the scotty hazelton loss is going to be tough plus they are bringing back no offensive line not at all um and so that's going to be really really tough so i i'm actually more inclined to say that that bottom tier is you know kansas by itself Texas Tech, Kansas State, and then that mid-tier is um, West Virginia, TCU, Baylor, although Baylor's probably pushing more the middle class than they are that third. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Baylor finishes a better record than Iowa State. If only The only thing that is surprising about that would be because of what Baylor lost, not because of what they're necessarily capable of. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, on the Big 12 before we wrap this one up? The Big 12 is always a blast. It should be fun to watch. My favorite league, man. Growing up in Dallas, it's the only one. Ooh, Pac-12 people are going to be mad. Uh, No, Pac-12 is a blast, too. Don't get me wrong. But (laughs) Big 12 plays earlier. I'm also more familiar with the teams. And it helps that people like Larry Fedora went to school just, uh, you know, 30 minutes from where I grew up. Or seeing players from... McKinney North High School or from Highland Park and be like, ooh, and it's basically that meme with Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV because I re- I'm like, ooh, I know that town. Oh, I know that town. So what you're saying is that Big 12 promotes good sleep patterns for you, and that's why you why you support them so much. I like Pac-12 as a house, but Big 12 is a home. <laughs> Parker, any final thoughts? Go ahead and plug your, your stuff again. My favorite league is the American. So uh, how the, how I the mean, tables have turned with this. Oh, Marty, I think how are we going to do this? It'll be, um, it'll be a lot of fun this year. I think no other conference has the quality of coaching top to bottom that the Big 12 does. I think the Big 12 has an abundance of experienced and high ceiling quarterback play, which again, there's been a lot of inconsistency lately. So I think that's going to be really, really exciting this year, that combination of really interesting and new coaching. Like Texas Tech is running the ball now. It's wild. West yep. Virginia, we've seen Holgo for so long run just just straight air raid. And now um, Neil Brown's coming in and running pistol and all this weird stuff. And so I, I think there's a lot of identities, which is a lot of fun, but there's also a lot of quality. So, I mean, it, like this won't happen, but like realistically six teams this year could win the league. 
and all of them would be fun outcomes. Like there's no, oh darn. I mean, one aside from Baylor. So five teams could win the league and it would all be really, really fun. Um, and and just weird. So I, I think there's a lot of upside for the Big 12 to be really fun. And uh, I think the downside of that is the the possibility of them getting left out of the playoff gets higher with um, more quality in the middle. For Kyle, for Jeff, for Parker, thank you guys for listening. Throw us five stars. It helps us. Follow Parker at Stats O War on Twitter. He's a fantastic follow. Even if you're not just a TCU fan, he throws out fantastic charts all the damn time. Even though I just spoke for all of you, can everyone say bye? I think too much of my time on Twitter, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, bye. Goodbye. Hi, my name is Joshua Tracy, and I am Corwin Heller. And we are the hosts of a statistics and sports podcast called Juicing the Numbers. We cover the NFL, college football, MLB, and the NHL with anything that we like to talk about in between. If you like sports and the numbers behind it, come check out our show, Juicing the Numbers, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at JuicingPOD.